0: Hello, this is Elliot Pollack, and you're listening to Masters and Mavericks. Today, our topic is global creativity. Um, Why is creativity important in a digital world? What global clients want today? Do we need a few big ideas that cross borders? Do we need a lot of little ideas that are very local? What do international marketers need to be doing now? What do they need to be thinking about to be ready for the next thing? So I'm with Nick Bailey today. Nick is the chief creative officer at Isobar. What is a chief creative officer, Nick? First, hello.
1: Hello there. Um, That's a really good question. There's been some uh, fairly forthright debate in the press, actually, about exactly what that role is and whether it's needed. I mean, I guess the the best analogy would probably be the editor-in-chief of a newspaper or maybe the executive head chef of of a restaurant where... You know, some of the time, and, you know, I'm a uh, a creative at heart and I, I still love to be hands-on, so some of the time that means actually being part of the work and directly uh, influencing the work through um, my own creative output, and some of the time that's, and most of the time, in fact, mm. building and creating a team, and I, I, I use the expression a lot, creating the conditions where great work can happen, um, and... From the point of view of the work that we do across borders, so my role uh, spreads across the whole of EMEA, um, that's about delivering uh, creative consistency, raising the bar creatively across many uh, uh, offices. In the case of iSpar, we have 23 offices in EMEA. Um, and working with clients regionally and globally as well to ensure that their creative output is Consistent and reaches the standard that they that they require.
0: So some of those clients that Isobar works with um, names like Kellogg's, P and G, Coca Cola, um, and Adidas, Google, uh, very global um, brands. The the and what Isobar does, from what I understand, is um, help your, your full service uh, global digital agency, um, an arm of the Dentsu Aegis Group. Um, and you're, you're helping those brands with the stated purpose of delivering ideas without limits. That sounds like a very creative proposal.
1: Um, it is. And we found that we call it a three-word manifesto, ideas without limits, a really helpful way of stitching together the quite diverse cultures and capabilities that exist in an agency network of 70 or so offices, um, particularly a network like ours that has grown over the years through acquisition. So um, we're used to assimilating and integrating quite a diverse range of capabilities um, and cultures. And in the world of digital, um, those capabilities can be really diverse. So you might be developing anything from a mobile app through to some really compelling film content and everything in between on that spectrum and you no know, it's the creativity and it's the idea that stitches all of those things together and talking about that in terms of ideas without limits places creativity at the heart obviously and that principle of thinking in a, uh, an unbordered, unboundaried way that's implicit in that statement about without limits is really important not just to our culture but actually the way that we approach our work operationally. So assembling multidisciplinary teams that aren't necessarily based on a particular Uh, preconception or prejudice about what the answer might be when a brief comes into the business so Mm. we tend to try to look at our clients challenges as business challenges first rather than marketing challenges um, and arrive at solutions that are going to drive real commercial upside for their business Um, and generally that means pulling a bunch of levers both creatively strategically and um, most importantly and that's run through the heart of everything we do using technology
0: so that leads me to a personal question your background you have a fine arts background i think nick Um, how did you get involved in the cutting edge of high tech digital marketing (laughs) so um serendipity really and i think an accident of birth and
1: geography by which i mean the age that i am when i was at art school so i was at an art school called goldsmith which is quite an avant-garde art college in london between 1993 and 1996 Um, and at that time in London there was a huge amount of excitement dynamism and energy around the art world in uh, the UK and London in particular there was this phenomenon that people called the YBAs the Young British Artists Um, it was very intoxicating for a sort of 18, 19 year old young man as I was at the time you know we had a TV crew come around to our degree show at the at the uh, university uh, there's a lot of excitement about what was coming out of that college um, and a huge sense of freedom and opportunity around um, the kind of work that you might make as a fine artist um, Goldsmiths kind of being at the heart of that and I was interested in the storytelling potential of technology so I came into art school mm-hmm. as much a writer as a as a visual artist um, and the world of um, simulation uh, and the world of tech was kind of just beginning to explode so I think the William Gibson novels you know, Neuromancer and um, Virtual Light came out around that time mm-hmm. and you know, again as a sort of relatively impressionable young man I found that fascinating um, and I started to use technology in my work right. so uh, there was a there was also a sense that that's Actually, been lost a little bit now that the worlds of technology, art, creativity, and commerce could come together in really imaginative and exciting ways. So, there was an organization called the Hub Club, uh, which was a regular meeting of like minded individuals, some of whom were coders, some of whom were artists like myself, who just kind of talked about what might be possible in this future world of creativity and technology. And in fact, for my degree show, I worked with a partner who I met in the context of that group to model the gallery space in VR and actually had a virtual reality headset as part of my show in 1996, which was a fairly rudimentary
0: experience, but... So sort of t- we're in 2016 now, uh, amazing, nothing new, <laughs> not, to, not for you, um, and we'll get to that point uh, a little bit later maybe about uh, has digital performance um, Eclipse to some extent, the importance of creativity and human connection and, and where you are where we are today um, in that, but what, what so you, you um, later on went to work at AKqa, which was a uh, it still is a uh, very special probably digital agency, a pioneer, and worked there for many years. Um, I think the last role was executive creative director at the Amsterdam office. Um, And then you moved to Isobar here in London um, in the CEO role. Uh, And now you have moved back into the chief creative officer role. So help me understand this. Um, That's not very typical to become a CEO.
1: It's not typical. Naturally, it was a combined role of CEO and ECD at the same time. Um, And I suppose it's probably something to do with my... Uh, control freakery (laughs) Uh, and again uh, serendipity so an opportunity to help drive and build the agency as it was then which uh, you know arose out of a particular set of circumstances Um, I was offered the role I in fact came on board as an ECD initially at what was then Glue Isobar Um, had some success building the business through some um, pitch wins yeah, and my predecessor is the chief exec left, and um, you know the business kind of asked me, well, do you, you want to take over the leadership of the business? Um, and I did that for two years, and uh, it was an education in many respects. Um, not didn't people many people asked me at the time, well, how do you combine those two roles? It didn't feel hugely different actually to what I'd been doing before, partly because at AKQA in Amsterdam, it was really a a startup situation when I joined that business we only had 10 people we built it up to sort of 70 75 there was a lot of pitching going on and I was very close to the center uh, of the leadership of that business and felt very much like uh, that was a sort of team effort of leadership Um, and when you're part of a digital uh, digitally led agency let's call it that as a creative in order to deliver work successfully you have to be fairly closely involved with other parts of the business so the difference between good digital agencies and really great agencies are often the capability is often simply the capability to deliver really effectively and that means bringing together um, different disciplines and operate opera, operationalizing your process right so I had, a, I had a good understanding of how to do that effectively. And um, so that sort of two-year period where I led the business um, was was one of growth for me and growth for the business and, you know, I think it's made me a better creative leader. Um, the change in uh, situation now has arisen because we've, in the last year, acquired a fairly large and successful technology business called Ecomera. They deliver... Um, e-commerce solutions and the challenge now is to integrate those two businesses and a new leader is coming from the U.S. to help drive that process uh, and my remit has sort of expanded across Europe and is now a pure creative remit again.
0: So if you look at how, how to be successful in global digital marketing, um, there are a lot of moving parts that need to be put together. Specifically, what's the role of creativity in that today? Is it still an art? Is creativity becoming a science and much more data-driven? Does artificial intelligence have a role to play now? Self-learning of machines um, and is the sheer scale of data and digital somewhat in attention with the attention or opposition with the craft? of creative thinking.
1: Wow. There were a lot of really, um, gnarly, <laughs> really gnarly questions in there, and the right questions to be asking, I think, in the world now. Creativity is never going to be a science, because you can't measure it, um, and you can't quantify it. It's the role that it plays, particularly in work that sits across multiple uh, geographies, but I think in any situation, is... The creativity is the glue that kind of knits everything together. When you speak to clients, as much now as ever, if not more today, they're looking for um, an answer. They're looking for a feeling. They're looking for a truth. They're looking for somebody who can persuade them that what they're looking at is going to drive change for their business and at the heart of that always is that sort of intangible kernel of something which only creativity
0: can deliver. So they're they're not coming to you saying, oh, well, we'd like to tap into digital performance so that we can increase acquisition of new clients or or their reach, or that may be their goal. But then how do you do that? You need to find the, the way to express a purpose. Is that what you're saying?
1: All I know is from the time I've been doing this is that when you present great creative work whether that's supported by data and a network of capability around it and it may be the data programmatic media buying and trading um, data insight delivered by data is an essential part of that but when you deliver great creative work there is a tangible change of energy in the room and that's what we're looking for Is creative agencies and that's what clients are looking for as buyers and clients buy a feeling more than they buy anything else in my experience now that the question around ai right i mean i think it is going to play a huge role in the future a significant role i think that it will replace certain of the jobs that are currently done by creative people i think that is true I don't think we can avoid that. I think, in a way, we've got to embrace that. Um, There was a fascinating um, uh, experiment done, I'm not sure by whom, we can all look it up, Uh, in the last couple of weeks in the Netherlands, where an AI created a Rembrandt. Did you see that? Um, And the AI looked at every Rembrandt ever painted, analysed the brushstrokes, and was invited to paint a picture of a man between the age of 30 and 40. And the painting looked like a Rembrandt. Now, you can easily... Imagine a world where you extrapolate that out and you say, OK, AI, look at every creative asset uh, for display advertising that we've deployed in the last 18 months. Have a look at the most and the least successful. Create something that is going to deliver X clicks, X in terms of ROI for us. That will happen. And it will begin in the world of static imagery and copy, and I think ultimately it will shift into the world of motion and moving image. Um, we're not far from a world where, uh, CG will be indistinguishable from shot material. And, you know, if I had a few million quid in the bank, I'd be investing in studios in sort of low cost geographies like China and India, developing moving image, um, Using CG for marketing, I think, and and you can see a world there where AI will play an important role in developing, you know, maybe multi-variant um, uh, scripts and endings for pieces of motion, and you know the way that motion is used will evolve and change further, right? So uh, formats like um, Instagram video and small uh, small pieces of motion on formats like uh, or channels like facebook will become increasingly important so there'll be an explosion i think of output some of which will be informed by things like ai but that creative kernel at the heart um, will continue to be critical for the foreseeable future and that the power of that feeling that you generate in the mind of another person is it's hard to imagine that being created by anything other than a human being, but
0: we'll see. I think that's a hugely important point. Um, It's more related to maybe what's going to happen next year and the year after than right now, but a hugely important point because my view is that a lot of people are in complete denial and say, well, creativity cannot be replaced in any way, human creativity. I think what you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, is human creativity assisted by artificial intelligence? I
1: think so. I mean, I think there's a bunch of... uh, We live in in a world where our jobs are to, if you boil it right down, to move ideas from one human mind to another human mind, right? I want to connect and communicate with you. That's why I became a creative in the first place. Because we all have this hunch that you can never prove that that human being two feet away from me kind of feels and interprets the world in the same way that I do so I want to create my um, response to the world in which I find myself and, and connect with another person through that that's what creative people do Now the world of commercial creativity takes that principle and it applies it to products brands and services because we want people to think (laughs) feel and believe something about a product a brand or a service that's going to drive and change their behavior now there's a whole bunch of stuff that we can analyze and measure behind that so for example people will respond to pictures of people who look more like them they just will than to images of people who don't and i don't mean that in terms of ethnicity and age i mean that in terms of actually who physically look like them Mm -hmm. now we will soon live in a world where the creative assets take take the if you take the craft outside of the idea you take you if there's an idea that exists and that's delivered through the through craft and that that craft may include a piece of Motion, a bit of moving image or a static image, The the people, the clothing, the context, the music. Because you're going to know everything about me through my interactions, not just on social channels, but actually in the world, soon enough, when I go in a store, you're going to know who I am. You're going to know what my previous interactions with your brand have been. You can present me with creative work that you will know as a marketer I will be more responsive to yes. because of what you know about me. And so there are, there are a huge range, I think, of creative crafts that are going to change unrecognizably in between now and the next sort of 10, 15 years. And um, that is just inevitable. You know, my, um, my father-in-law is an illustrator. Uh, he was hugely successful as a commercial artist in the... 1970s and the 1980s and when you look at his back catalog of work, much of it was for magazines so he, he used to work for magazines like women 's own there was a teen mag called look in, in the uk these were and these magazines had circulations of three, four million people and articles were illustrated with paintings um, work that took sort of one individual like him two, three days to create and every book cover that you saw on the shelf had a painting on it, and you know this man has Many thousands of really beautiful pieces of work. But his career ended in the early 80s, really, when desktop publishing uh, came in and it became possible for publishers to create compelling designs quickly and easily on computers. Um, And the same disruptive change will take place Um, in the world that that we live in right now.
0: How how does that affect the way that you address or see um, cultural difference around the world? So when you're creating ideas for different countries, EMEA, let's say, um, the fact that you have so much data, personalised data about people in different markets, does that mean that you can bypass any cultural insight into um, the environment that they've grown up in? Or is culture more important perhaps today because people are um, um, much more holding on to it? given globalization
1: I think cultural insight will become more important I think right now we live in a world where um, people who live in quote unquote less important markets mm-hmm. or from a from a commercial point of view markets that generate less income for brands yeah Get, not in the top five, let's say. Get um, generic work foisted on them. And probably it's a waste of everyone's time and money because it's yes. just ignored and not responded to. But no one knows, no one in, historically has known that, you know, whether a, a bunch of uh, cr- creative assets deployed by, say, an FMCG business in a relatively small country in, you know, the Eastern Europe or in the Middle East or in... Sub-Saharan Africa um, actually delivers anything at all because it's not in anyone's interest particularly to find that out we will, we now know and are beginning to know the answer to those questions and um, it's not been efficient for people to create and trans-create creative for those markets, it will become possible to do that and it will become possible to do that for technology through technology um, and AI and you know new ways of creating creative assets so there is a huge sort of untapped opportunity so it's not yes there is a threat to kind of existing markets and capabilities but there are there's work that is not it's not possible currently to do that it will become possible to do and insights that it's not currently um, efficient to leverage that it will become cost effective to leverage and you know that that work will become more effective you know and we're for, for my entire career, I've had the feeling that we we're in the sense in, in a period of transition and change. Um, and I don't have any sense that we're emerging from that. I think we're right bang in the middle of it. And I won't see the dust settle, I think, until way beyond the end of my career.
0: You were saying earlier that part of your, your role is to ensure for the clients you're working with... Uh, consistency across territories, including consistency of quality, of course. I assume that means also consistency of message or overall brand message. What you're saying here, however, is that local relevance could be leveraged much more in the future, given the technology that allows to create assets for even smaller markets. Um, Is is social media part of that? The fact that people in different countries are using social media, you can listen into it, get information and perhaps leverage that to communicate in a more interactive way. Or does advertising have no part to be in social media? Um, Well, the clue is in the
1: name. Social media is a Media channel, um, and those th- those channels and platforms exist, and their business model is based on the data that they accrue about individuals uh, and or harvest, which sounds like a terribly sinister word, but really that's why they exist, and they exist to harvest that data and then sell it to to commercial entities so whether you call it advertising or not they are all advertising platforms that's why they exist i think i think my job is to deliver consistency i think relevance is probably a better word so we sit here in london you know london is its own sort of cultural universe it's very easy for creative output to be disproportionately reflective of that cultural universe in which it resides so my job because I spend time with clients outside of this market for example we we work with the handset business Huawei you know by spending time with those clients in China um, and in other markets being under the skin of what it breathing the same air as them you know so that the work that we create here is going to be effective and resonate in the UK, France, Italy, Spain, which are all effectively the same from a cultural perspective, really, um, there's nuance. But when you compare Germany, France, the UK, Spain to China, there's real difference there. Yeah. So, you know, my job is to help our teams um, connect with those cultures um, and to work more effectively across borders so that the work remains relevant. Social, of course, is an incredibly important tool. Um, when it comes to understanding those markets, brands no longer live in a world where they can push stuff out there and and sort of not expect there to be a reaction so mm. it 's much more important that brands are sensitive to the cultures in which they play because you know a misstep will generate potentially a huge amount of damage it can be commercially damaging to, to a business so.
0: what's your view on the um, on co-creation with influencers and user-generated content in different markets um, I- is that part of what you're advising clients on
1: well you know even the expressions the, the expression user-generated c- content is beginning to feel slightly anachronistic because who's a user um, and who's a and he, well, you know, why why some people use and some people not use I mean, I think um, influencers themselves, and I think that term itself will sort of fall out of use fairly soon. We're again, we're again in a, in a mm. moment of disruption and change yeah. around the potential of individuals to become powerful media channels in yes. themselves, and we've seen this in the last three or four years. You know, you've got TV you've got broadcasters who may be able to command audiences across a, a, an array of sort of specialist channels of you know 2 300,000 on on special on yeah. daytime channels or even even prime time channels and they they do that through a, and having to carry a really heavy kind of infrastructure and cost and you've got individuals who are able to command regular audiences in the multiples of millions and, you know, why those individuals should be treated as sort of um, the tool of a brand when they them, they should think of themselves, and now they do, as uh, the equals of all the superiors to um, existing media owners and channels. Um, and that is an incredibly powerful disruptive force driven by technology yes any of if any if you'd said to any of us i think even as recently as sort of six seven years ago that um some 15 16 year old kid would have the same clout as a hundred year old publisher we'd have found that hard to believe The Drum were running uh, a series on moments in um, internet history or advertising history in the last week. And they played again the the first YouTube video to receive a million hits, which was Ronaldinho, a Nike film. Ronaldinho hitting the crossbar three times or four times in a row. And I remember that film when it came out because I was working on the Nike business at the time. So this was maybe 2004, 2005 you know, now a million views on a Nike film would be, you know, an abject failure. But it was fascinating to return to the mindset of those days when YouTube was something new. Um, An agency like AKQA was in its heyday, um, but the world has shifted into an unrecognizable place from...
0: So, what I'm taking away from this is that creativity has to be thought about in the context of the media and the technology as it evolves, and the forms of creativity will change, not the human fact of interconnection, but the way this is expressed. Who are the people who are involved? Who are who? Who are the who has the power, and so forth? So these are huge disruptive changes going on. What's the innovation that you're most excited about in the next uh, that that's come along now, or that you see coming coming out? Well, we've talked about
1: it a bit, and I think it is. I think it is AI, and I think it is mm-hmm. um, the potential of data and AI to feed into the world of. Right. Um, the visual landscape that we live in and I don't think that's quite begun to happen yet and I think that will be what we really begin to see in the next sort of five ten maybe it's 15 years away Um, cinema is giving us a sort of hint of what that world's going to look and feel like because they have the the time and the money to invest in the technology that shows us what the world's going to look like. So, for ex- you know, the Jungle Book out is week, that all of it shot in a warehouse. Um, what Framestore did with Gravity. Um, when you walk, you know, when you walk around Soho, you see two kind of different worlds. You've got business like Framestore that's investing in really in, that's a tech business, really more than anything else. It's a fantastic post production house, but that is driven by ones and noughts and then the older world of commercial production which is really struggling and under pressure um and you know possibly in uh, i don't want to speculate but you know not not in a great place when you look know, yeah. in sort of five ten years time it's a it's a really difficult model to see how that's going to persist um and you see a bit of a vision of the future you know there's the those creative businesses that are able to take Technology and turn that, that into compelling, beautiful uh, visual, visually uh, compelling resonant moments um, are going are going to prosper
0: so what would you, you recommend to international marketer or somebody entering the international marketing world what what are the, the two or three things to be doing now, do you think um, Get as close to your customers as you can yeah don't believe everything
1: agencies tell you have a, have a completely open mind about the way that you're going to build your brand in the next 5 to 10 years because it's not going to be the way that you built it in the preceding 5 to 10 years
0: fantastic, thanks a lot Nick um, one last question If you do you have a mantra that you live or work by and if so what would that mantra be?
1: I do, it's probably not original to me but in its tenacity wins um, because I've generally found that to be true Thank you very much, Nate. Thank you.